Hello and welcome to QA Quest episode 329. I'm your host, Mike Apps, aka Wheels, and with me as always. Lonely Rolling Star, David McBarney, Fanwell Master. And we're recording a day early for various reasons, because we just recorded another podcast, and also because certain games are releasing at midnight tomorrow. Certain games that Twitch is advertising at me right now. Oh, nice. <laughs> I assume Spider-Man and not Mario. Yeah, Spider-Man. Yeah. I don't actually know if Mario is also releasing at midnight, but I just assume I'm going to go there and be handed both games. I don't know. You better. You better, you bet. I sure hope so. Otherwise, I'm going to have to go back there again the next day. Uh, that would suck. I'm glad I won't be able to pick up Mario Wonder on, before the plane, uh, train trip, but yeah. I will oh. Thankfully, it's a Nintendo game, so it won't be hard to find. It's not going to ever go anywhere, and it's not going to ever go down in price, yes. but... Uh, it's one of those things. It's like, oh, it'd be nice to have that on the train. Yeah, sure. <laughs> especially because it's getting really glowing reviews. Yes, <laughs> uh, better than Spider-Man by a few. Yeah, months. and Spider-Man did not uh, did not exactly fail to clean up in terms of reviews. Uh, no. which is great to see. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't surprised by really either in this yes. case, but yeah, it's always only, good to see. The only thing I saw perusing some of them was. Like it's a definitely that's a bit safe, but I mean that's what you expect yeah. from both Insomniac and Spider Man and yeah. Sony. <laughs> for me, for this first sequel, and honestly, maybe even for a few more, that's fine because I think what makes these their Spider Man games work so well is like interspersing really good storytelling and just different types of combat sequences and just. Uh, I don't know. I'm just not being super long, either. Like, yeah. In, in general, uh, like I really appreciated that Miles Morales was a tight, like, twelve-hour game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot's being made of. Oh, it's a bigger open world. I did not engage a ton with any of the open world stuff in those games, and it's totally fine. Like, I. I spent a lot of time swinging, but yeah. that was mostly because swinging was fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you can fast travel in this game. I don't know why you would. <laughs> I mean, if, if you really just want to get to your next mission, I suppose, like, sure, that's fine, but, like, swinging is half the fun. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway. <laughs> if you are not enjoying the swinging, you will not, like, the this experience will... There's not a lot to... You're, you're going to lose a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it's a... Uh brief distraction. Let's talk about what we've been playing. Yeah. Uh, do you want to start or should I? I can start. So, yesterday, well, actually, if you watched um, Sunday Night Shenanigans, you may have seen me download a game on my Switch and possibly almost <laughs> see me accidentally <laughs> enter my password live on the air. By the way, uh, but I downloaded uh, the first Katamari remake for Switch because it was on sale. For, like, and I played it, and I finally clicked with me, and it's fucking excellent. Like absolutely, just pure fun. Like I honestly wish I could have been streaming so people could have seen the giant like shit-eating grin on my face as I realized. Oh, you can roll up the animals wandering around these stages, too. What the fuck? Oh, the things you can roll. Yes. 
so yeah, the game game has weird controls, but I feel like you can kind of just wing it, and it it doesn't feel punishing ever. So I don't really care. <laughs> like I definitely do not have the best hang of it, and I don't feel like the game is really punishing me or anything for it. I'm just rolling around having fun, and it's great. Uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. The music's hilarious. The cutscenes are bizarre. Uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I'm glad you kept yelling at me to play it. <laughs> I'm glad that I browbeat you on live stream. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, it's really fun. Uh, like just playing it and realizing that oh like oh i'm just bouncing off everything what how what 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 actually what's going on and eventually like picking up a bunch of smaller stuff and then realizing oh you get the ball bigger and then you pick up bigger things and it's like oh this time limit is much less imposing because it's like this just exponential growth thing where it just keep going and as you get to like the closing few minutes even if maybe you were having some trouble, like you're just going to be able to pick, start picking up giant, giant things that just fill up <laughs> the size you need to get to, like exponentially faster. Yeah, like once 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 you hit like another tier of things that you can roll up, you start like really getting uh, like the the size increases can go really out of control in a really yeah. satisfying fashion. No, it's hilarious and extremely satisfying. It's, yeah, it's great. Great, great, great. Uh, Budweiss asks, who's getting Mario Wonder? I am getting Mario Wonder. God, I want to, but yeah, and it's going to be a bit. <laughs> probably stream some of the of that a bit at some point, but most likely uh, uh, it's probably going to be playing Spider-Man first. Uh, what I said, I can only get one game this week, so it's either Mario or Spider-Man. I'll end up getting both for sure eventually. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Mario is like an evergreen thing, and especially for Spider-Man, like, there could be some huge story spoilers you'd like to, you know, enjoy organically. So I feel like if you have to get one, that's probably the one to get. It also comes down to, like, do you want deal with, uh, like, if we're talking about spoilers, do you want to deal with people spoiling all of this cool new level concepts? So yeah. you're kind of... You, you pick your poison. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that Mario looks really freaking good. I can't wait. Uh, it's it's a good week. We Wowie zowie. We also got a new Sonic. Yeah, and that was pretty good, too. Yes. Uh, I was hoping to stream that one today, but my shipment was delayed, so... No <laughs> uh, and all the games all coming out now uh, but yeah stuff I've been playing um, uh, as far as homework reports um, uh, Dragon Quest 11 I officially got Silvano back in the group I was doing a storyline where he's kind of with you but not actually as a party member so I finished that and now he's the party member again and moved on to some storyline where you go back to uh, Dundrasil. And you actually mm. get to back, go back and see, oh, what happened to like the king, the Luminary's yeah. parents. It's interesting. That's and, a good storyline. Yeah. A... 
And in fact, Get a lot more. Oh, bad. I was just gonna say it's my my switch is act. My other switch is actually in uh, rest mode behind me, still at a part of that. So I was playing it pretty <laughs> late last night, so I had to just put it to sleep to continue it today. But yeah, uh, very interesting. You get to see where uh, King, what's his name, uh, gets <laughs> controlled. Mm -hmm. It's cool. Uh, the storytelling in this game has been extremely good. I, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what else happens. Although I'm getting impatient to get some of my other party members back, so hopefully that you're you're getting to the point where you're going to start seeing more of them. That's good. Uh, but and then um, Trails in the Sky. I finally finished chapter five, I think it was, nice. with the dragon, and started up the next chapter, which involves. Going on vacation? <laughs> you need that. You need that little break. Yeah. So I'm wondering if it might be a shorter chapter, but uh, I don't know. We'll see, I'm probably playing some of that. Well, okay, probably will not be playing much of that for a bit. But yeah, <laughs> just uh, a lot of stuff crowding that out. But at the same time, I won't be here to be on your cases yes. for a couple of weeks. So. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, I did I did have some extra trading credit when I paid off um, Mario and Spider-Man's. So I also grabbed Lords of the Fallen last Friday. That's the new Lords of the Fallen. Not to be confused Fallen. with Lords of the Fallen. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I don't, don't really care for that choice of naming. It kind of sucks. Low quality. Yeah. Uh, but the game is actually pretty good. It's definitely like a B, B, B tier soul like. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not the mechanics and uh, general bugginess aren't as good as you'd expect from something like a From Software game. Uh, but it's definitely leagues better than the original Lords of the Fallen, for sure. <laughs> and Don't damn it with faint praise. <laughs> But it's got a pretty cool gimmick to it, where like mm. when you die, you go into this spirit version of the same world. But in addition to you being sent there, I love Thorier. When you die in <laughs> the regular realm, you can you have this lamp, and you can kind of anytime shine it, and it'll show you like what what this, the equivalent, yeah, what that the area in front of you looks like in. Uh, the spirit world, which can be useful for, oh, this gate, like this, this fence isn't here in the spirit world, so I can shine this lantern here and then just walk through it, which is pretty cool. <laughs> uh, but in addition to that, you can just like instead of dying, you can just use it to transport to the spirit realm because there's certain areas you can only like get through by going there. There's also some mechanic where if you stay there too long, you start to get sworn by enemies, and it's, it's different. It's different. It's def I. Mm -hmm. It's not the greatest, but it's definitely uh, it's definitely worth checking out if you're in need of uh, more souls. And so, there's a lot of those around now. Yes, got that. Around. You got Lies of P. Yeah, I need to play Lies of P, especially since it's on Game Pass. Mm -hmm. No excuses for that. Um, there's some other ones I tried recently, like Steel Rising, which I thought was kind of bad. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of them to check out. So it's a well-served genre at this stage. Yes, uh, that's about all I've been playing. Uh, I've I've been kind of uh, limited in my playtime because I've been making sure that things that work are in a good space uh, before I head off. I did uh, just for just as uh, I had a wild hair and decided to uh, boot up uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution oh. on the deck. Well, that's a good idea, Which, actually. Yeah, it runs, as you'd expect, it runs perfectly on that. Uh, Do they have the director's cut version on Steam? Or is it only... Yeah, okay. that's the version I'm playing. Okay, good. Uh, which has a lot of little improvements that I think uh, help the game a lot. The And I already really liked Human Revolution, but uh, they made that, that version uh, made it so that the boss fights better suit the gameplay style, and... That's already like clearing up the biggest problem that the original release has, but it incorporates the missing link DLC, and it adds uh, one thing that I really appreciate is that it makes it so that you can uh, you have two batteries that charge at all times, as opposed to the one that you had in the original release, uh, which just makes it so that you have a lot more use of your like powers, which is nice. just helpful. So yeah, that's uh that runs perfect on deck. Uh since they still won't put it on Switch for me. That's uh working out pretty well for me. Uh but no, that's been good to replay. Uh I still think that a lot of the uh decisions art wise were pretty strong. The uh a lot of people complained at the time about the black and gold filter. I think it suits the game's aesthetic quite well. Uh the uh, dialogue confrontations are still one of the more interesting. Like th- to me, in the original release, those were the real boss fights, and they're still uh, some of the more interesting uh, implementation of conversations as like major uh, beat that I've seen in a game. And I really wish something more would rip them off mm-hmm. because they were a really cool mechanic that could uh, stand to be uh, reused and expanded. But. Yeah, so that's uh, that's that's the biggest thing that I have been playing. Other than I played a, a fair bit more of We Love Katamari, I've finished that, and I'm just sort of casually rolling this time uh, as I have the inclination. I grabbed a physical copy of that today while it's still easy to find. Yeah, it's a, it's a lovely little game. I would have gone for a physical copy, except that. When I was looking at Amazon, which was my best option, it said that it would not be here until November. And I was like, oh, I don't yes. have time for that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'll probably try to track down a physical copy before they become scarce. Uh, uh, Budai asked, who here played Elf Protocol? We both did. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I think I actually... Uh, I was talking about that a couple months ago because I thought Elf Protocol fucking owns, and it still does. Yeah. I need to f- I need to work on getting that to work on the deck if it's possible. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen anyone mention it being possible. Uh, let me see, because it's one of those things that's just like super not supported in any official capacity. Yeah. 
But let me uh, see if I can find. Yeah, let me see what else Budai said when you're saying that. I also bought that Fate Samurai game. I've yet to play. Yeah, I, I grabbed that as well because it was getting really good reviews. Like I have don't care about the Fate franchise, but like a good RPG from Koei Tecmo, I'm interested in. So, uh, I, yeah, the reviews for it were like shockingly good. Okay, yeah, it looks like you can get Alpha Protocol running. Sweet. It also says graphic and arts of Lords of the Fallen are pretty good. Yeah, it's it's not bad. It's not. I feel like maybe people were over over hyping it a little bit, uh, but it's definitely a solid game. Which game was that? Lords of the Fallen. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, yeah. Uh, I wish that they would just like sort out the rights issues. Like it, it would just be a negotiation between Microsoft and Sega to get Alpha Protocol back yeah. out in the world again. Uh, there just ain't enough inclination. It's a shame. Who was, does, did uh, Deus Ex go with the whole sale to the Embracer group? Yeah, Embracer Embracer got the Deus Ex license as part of that. Okay. So, uh, that Switch port is slightly better. Not impossible. Yes. Yeah, not impossible. They, did you see Gothic 2 yes. is also coming to the Switch? Yes, what I was tempted to get the first one, but like, I don't. I'm tempted by both of them. They're yeah. insane. Uh, I think they. I think Gothic Two, based on the name Complete Classic, probably comes with the expansion. So that's something. <laughs> it's only. It's only with Gothic Three that fans start saying that they become bad. So. <laughs> I think it was Gothic 4 that I reviewed. Maybe it was... Yeah, Arcania. Yes. Yeah, that game sucks. It's not great. Oh, also apparently it's uh, 7 bucks off until November 28th when the game releases. <laughs> what is? Gothic, Gothic 2? 2. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I think I think in general, fans of the Gothic games are tend to swear by Gothic one and two, and shun to varying degrees three and four. Uh, yeah, uh, enjoying. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna have to like. I'm, I'm gonna have a like 24 hour train ride in a few days so i need to decide what i'm going to be doing with that time suggestions welcome <laughs> are we bringing the switch in the deck probably some ff7 remake so uh, not suggestions for games you don't have <laughs> yes that generally helps uh, you're welcome to fix that <laughs> you didn't pick up remnant one on switch did you I did not. Okay. My apologies. Uh, that's okay. But, uh, yeah, I'll be playing some FF7 remakes tonight and Okisaki. Uh, uh, some Atelier. Oh, uh, yeah, I could do some Atelier. Maybe. Because I'll also have to do that train ride back later, so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Mario had some weird online features. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, the online is, isn't it? Like, you don't necessarily actually play with each other. You can interact you with, like... Other and you can help yeah, you can interact with each other, okay. but in an almost solely fashion. It's uh, kind of neat. Yeah, it's, it's unique, and it helps avoid, like, the problem of, like, my game needs to be an exact sync with your game for the online to work if they do direct online multiplayer. So they did something a little more... Uh, a little easier to implement. Uh, would be less error prone. So, good move on their part. Um, yeah, uh, I'll probably play some more uh, Deus Ex. And the other thing, oh yeah, uh, Sleeping Dogs as well on the train. So that'll be fun. Nice. Uh, but otherwise, you know, a lot, of, a lot of train time ahead. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Was there any news this week? It was a relatively quiet week, as I recall. Uh, I think... I think there, there was something, but it's not coming to mind right now. Yeah, it's, it's relatively speaking quiet, other than the two big games that are coming out and the yeah. big game that just came out. Which, I mean, hey, uh, we're hitting that uh, last rush before Christmas. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the only thing, not even totally games related, just generally people freaking out was people talking about, oh, some stores getting rid of DVDs and Blu-rays. Which is sad, but... Yeah. Which is sad, but I think... Like, I don't necessarily take that as, well, I'm not going to be able to get Blu-rays for anything anymore i think the point is a lot of that business is online now yeah like, it's you, become the niche yeah for a long time like i mean i've wanted to find certain things in stores but mostly i just buy them online because otherwise i don't find them yeah uh, life sucks. is rough for the physical media enjoyer yeah but, I mean, if you think, well, there goes physical media, I, let, let me tell you to go into your local Target and go browse the vinyl section and maybe God. relax a little bit. <laughs> Those people are weird, though. <laughs> it's true, yeah. Like, I don't... I understand, like... I understand physical media from music going to, like, a more boutique uh, medium. I don't understand why it's vinyl. Do not. Yeah. Uh, like, it's not for me. If, if physical movies come back more in prominence in stores and it's like fucking laser discs, I could scream. Do it. <laughs> it would be really funny. It's okay, Joe. You're you lack like actually played music. You're allowed to collect vinyl. <laughs> yeah. I, it's for me. It's just uh, I don't understand it. But you you get uh, That's fine. The, I, the biggest thing I can think of is the big art, but I mean, I'd be perfectly happy with like a vinyl size case for a CD. Yes. But, uh, but yes, I, I would say chill out because I think, especially for games, like that's, that's a completely different medium and we're still a long, long way off 
from being at the point. Especially because they keep fucking wasting my drive space. Yes, we're very far off from the point where everyone has the kind of internet required to download 100 gigabyte games easily. God, that reminds me of... Did, did you see the thing about the Mortal Kombat 1 crashes? No. Every time that fucking game crashes on PC, it, it dr makes a giant crash log. It takes up like a gigabyte per crash. Oh god, what the fuck? Uh, and some people have it, have had it crash a lot. <laughs> I think it like the the details are that it just it gives like an absurd amount of information. Like for debugging it would be quite useful, but at the same time, like that's just wasteful of the user on the user's end. Uh, yeah. But I says at least with digitally, you know you can always find an SMT day one. Um you can easily now. They be with the increased popularity, they yeah. are very printed a lot. We we've left behind the days of me going to GameStop to get Devil Survivor and then being like, it's yeah. a good thing you pre-ordered this. We only got one. <laughs> well, Persona 3 was definitely hard to find on PS2. I walked into a Target and saw multiple copies of SMT5 day one. Yeah, no, that's... Persona, the... SMT5. Yeah, like the, the SMT... Like, you can still get... Like, I saw Soul Hackers 2 at the Best Buy. <laughs> yeah. That... that wasn't even a popular one. Yeah. That said, uh, more niche, niche RPGs. Um, it's good that they're like more permanently available. Yes, more niche <laughs> RPGs. Like people talk a lot about, oh, you don't need to pre-order. Pre-ordering stupid. Pre-order your niche games so you make sure you get them, please. Yeah, a lot of a lot of stores for for niche games. It's like if no one pre-ordered this, why would I order any of this? <laughs> yeah, I have no exactly. idea how many people will actually buy this. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I would advise people to relax a little bit about freaking out about if you're prefer physical media or just have really really bad internet. I would relax a little bit. the The only rumor I've seen out there was the CEO of Limited Runs Games commenting on a rumor that Walmart might get rid of physical Xbox games. Which is weird, huh. but whatever. I could see it mostly because of the like increased emphasis on things like Game Pass, yeah. but that'd be about it. Yeah, but um, there's been nothing official in that regard. Last game, Budai says, last game that I had trouble getting because I didn't pre-order was Physical Alliance Live. Yeah, that's, yep. that's understandable. Yeah. And Joe says, just don't get MK1 on Switch. Don't get it on anything, but if you yeah. have to get it on something, get it on Switch because it's really fucking funny looking. <laughs> uh, I would prefer it's... it on Switch so the gore is just blurry. Looks like shit. Yeah. My favorite thing, like the thing that's still like I was reeling at it as I was thinking about it was they may they announced the DLC characters and three of them are licensed crossover characters because that's just what Mortal Kombat does. Two of those are evil Superman, and neither of them are an evil Superman that WB owns. That's fucking weird. <laughs> like the, there's Omni Man who is God, what who publishes Invincible Image? Probably. That makes that would make sense. Uh, and then there's fucking God, what's the other uh, Homelander from the Boys? Yeah. And it's like one of those things where it's like 
you had two evil Supermans, and neither of them's a proper Superman. <laughs> feels weird. You own the character. What are you doing? It's it's but it's entirely powered by Ed Boon's brain. <laughs> um, the only DC character that's showing up is Peacemaker. Which, I mean, the new Peacemaker show is by all accounts very good, so that makes sense, but I still. Have seen it? Oh, no, I haven't. It's it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things. I just haven't gotten around to it. Yeah. I still need to watch the Suicide Squad he was in. <laughs> also very good. Yeah. And Budai pointing out the, the new Legend of Legacy HD. I'll finally get to play this game. Yeah, that'll, that'll uh, be nice. I mean, that's good, but I mean, Legend of Legacy actually never went up in price. <laughs> you can get it pretty cheap on 3DS. Especially that limited edition. Yeah. Like, no human being made money scalping that. No. <laughs> uh, but it'll be more convenient. More people yeah. will be able to play it. They won't have to break out of 3DS. Yeah, and I think it, so more people good. probably will play it because I feel like there's more of a market for retro-looking RPGs now than there was back then. RPGs for weirdos have seen a, have seen a lot of uptick in the past yeah. 10 years. And as a weirdo who loves weirdo RPGs, I'm into it. Yeah, like the, the amount of attention being paid to stuff like Sea of Stars is strange, but Surreal. I'm, here, I'm here for it. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah. Uh, what am I going to say? Uh, I forget. Yeah, just... Uh, don't don't freak out so much about these things. Like, is, is all I would say. Keep buying your physical games. It's going to be fine. The fact the fact that limited run games and imitators are so uh, in ready supply should tell you a lot that like there's a demand and mm-hmm. the, the way your game isn't uh, necessarily just gonna vanish out of nowhere. So yeah, my biggest hope would be that they start focusing that, that like more of them start focusing to pivot less towards like. Ah, uh, this this limited print run of this physical game and be more like, hey, we're gauging the amount of interest. Here's the play. Like, we will make a number of copies based on how many people pre-order. Like, it's a much more, it's a much yes. nicer thing. Yes, when when limited run games switch to doing that, like, this is just an open pre-order and we'll print those amount of copies was so great. <laughs> and so that was, that was such an a infinite improvement. Yes. And not only that, but it's like, and you have like several weeks or several months to get your order yeah. too. Instantly. Yeah, in general, that just so much, so much better. Like yeah. I did, like just make sure that as many people who want it as possible can get it. Like that's that's the ideal here. Yeah, uh, Budai didn't like Sea of Stars, which is fine. I, I haven't it, gotten but... around to it. <laughs> no, not everything is for everyone. Yeah, it's just nice that there are more weirdo RPGs yeah, out there. Exactly. That's what matters. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Let's hit some of these questions that Fireminer has uh, asked in the past that we haven't gotten around to. Uh Okay, I think we were on lucky number 13 here. 
Oh, no, wait, we've done 13. I think we're on 14. Uh, will there be a further bifurcation of the game hardware industry? Economists have talked about the premiumization of the economy. Uh, then he cites an article that I have not had time to look at yet. Uh, given that most people are only going to get poorer and the economy gets more unstable, will there be a day when high-end consoles stop being made because no one's willing to subsidize them anymore? Uh, and you either buy a cheap console like Switch or go broke and buy or build your own gaming PC. I don't think we'll, we will see more of a shift about what's considered premium and we'll see weirder and weirder things removed <laughs> in the name of cost cutting. Uh, because broad, broad point ends up being that at a certain, especially now, a console is a low to mid-range gaming PC that is being buoyed up by the economics of scale. <laughs> uh, and so building building to higher end is going to become less and less feasible. Uh, so I, I think we'll stop seeing them as strictly premium items as like the thing that they are as the market they're designed to evoke but we'll definitely uh still see like consoles sort of pretending to play that game i guess i don't, I don't know what i'm saying at this point when uh will we ever see a streaming server side console i mean we're probably gonna see at least one company try it within the next 10 years but like streaming like video games have the same problem as streaming video which is to say that the more people use them the less profitable the subscription becomes uh but they also have like insanely higher demands of fidelity of streaming mm. because they need to take uh, they need to take data rather than just send it so I think that you're going to see companies experiment with it inside the next 10 years. I don't think you're going to see anyone bet the farm as like that's uh, the, that will be a, like my bet would be that at some point Microsoft sort of pivots to Series S or like, you know, a, a hypothetical other series console to just have a version that is a strictly streaming object that's ultra cheap and uh, that ultimately serves as like the here's an option for the lowest of the low end market. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if we ever all have great internet, that would be a nice cheaper option for people. I mean, like it, it's, the the cheaper <laughs> it's internet would also. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a bunch of other Fs. It's yes, like the logistics. Lots of, lots like ifs. Microsoft is aware of the danger, the dangerous logistics here, by virtue of the fact that they're like fucking investing in like building up essentially nuclear power to power the kind of grid that would be necessary yeah. to make like the kind of scale of cloud streaming that they're thinking of. Uh, feasible, and that has like a, like at that point when you're talking about <laughs> dealing in nuclear power, you're talking yeah. about something that's not just a that's not just a what if in terms of, uh, like not just a bunch of ifs in terms of like 
you know, can they scale it up in terms of the the tech uh, to you know improve latency and uh, fidelity and all that, but also like, can they get past the kind of regulations that are around like <laughs> dealing in nuclear material? Uh, it's uh, there's there's a, an infinite number of ifs. Uh, Sony is likely pursuing this somewhat less aggressively. They they spent a lot of money on this like ten years ago, and then just sort of threw that directly into the trash. <laughs> and allegedly, they're behind the scenes trying to work on a next generation like game streaming setup. But I have not heard anything about that actually like bearing real fruit. I mean, and. Xbox, which probably has one of the best of those services out there, apparently it, the usage is like very low. <laughs> yeah, because it's inconvenient. the The other thing to note about it is that Microsoft made a very good choice by doing a uh, like the streaming and download. It's not an either or; they yes. supplement each other. Yeah, and I think the like that's going to be pretty key to keeping this not completely unsustainable. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think within 10 years we're going to see Microsoft put out something that is a a box that connects to a server. Uh, but I think that they will at the very least be smart enough to position this as like the ultra low cost option. Uh and then Vudai asks, what's the best Zeno game? Uh, I have not finished all the Chronicles games, so I do not feel yeah. comfortable saying. Uh, but I by all accounts, it seems like Chronicles 3 might really have done that. So. Yeah. Uh, I have not finished 3. It's extremely good from what I've played. Uh, although the balance of the difficulty... Difficulty balancing was definitely not your thing. Well, I mean, and that can vary a lot depending, like, some people just play... Certain play styles. <laughs> just wander off and do side quests forever, and then the game's just easy, and they're fine with that. Like, But me just playing through the story, trying a normal and hard and whatever, it just always felt like, well, I can beat all these normal enemies fine, and then I get into this boss fight, and it just feels literally impossible. Uh... But despite that, the story is great. I'm, I'm never not having a fun time with the game. So mm -hmm. I think that says a lot, honestly. Mm -hmm. uh... Uh, but that said, um, uh, you know, I still kind of think the first one's the best, especially with a, a shiny remake. <laughs> Like I know people don't like being able to control the whole party, but um, uh, I, I still think there's something really special about the first one. I mean, no one has yet surpassed uh, the the inception of the franchise, Bally Midway's Xenophobe. <laughs> My God. <laughs> Sorry, it was an easy joke. Uh... First one's, I seems to agree. The first yeah. one was so good. It is, and I, that, I don't want to insult two at all because I absolutely love two. It's great. I just think um, it doesn't quite come together as well as the first the first one. 
Hmm. And like, uh, I'm trying to find. A, I hate comparing games that are really good because it feels like I have to. I have to like have to put one down or something. Yeah, like I don't have a lot of complaints about two. I, I like it a lot, but. Uh, <sighs> the. There's just something really cool about the way the world of one where just like this world on these two giant things and just discovering all the mysteries of it that that's not really like a big part. It's not as big a part of two. It's just like, oh, this is a weird fantasy world where everyone lives on giant flying monsters. If that makes any sense, like I know, it also, doesn't have the sense of cohesion and weirdness. Yeah, like I know also in one, like one, like everyone knows they live on these giant things that are like no longer moving. It's just why they call things like the Bionis's knee. Yeah, <laughs> but they don't really know a lot about like why why that is and what's going on. That's a key part of the plot. They don't yeah. really understand a lot of this. Yes, but. Uh... Uh, uh, speaking of Xenoblade 2, can you think of any RPGs where the bosses get harder the closer they are to death? Uh, I know what you mean. A lot of action game. games. Yeah, you know, <laughs> But I know exactly what you're talking about in Xenoblade 2. Uh, which <laughs> I think is why they really... You really have to learn all the weird combo mechanics. Uh, so I think the game... Because you just want to obliterate the last bit of either health <laughs> right, as much fast as possible. Kind of, wants to teach you those so then when when an enemy gets low you can kind of unleash all that and kill them all deal with it as little as possible yeah exactly <laughs> yeah xenoblades are really good i definitely think everyone should play them and the, the blade games are definitely like collectively the most uh complete versions yeah. the xeno games have ever reached yeah, and I complain a lot about the the balancing in three, but I think it can kind of be an issue at times for all of them, and that's mm -hmm. kind of by nature because you know you think about it, a game with tons and tons of side quests and tons of places to explore, they kind of it feels <clears throat> like they kind of built in like this breathing room, you know, because they expect people to go off and do all kinds of things. It's just that. Um, the other thing sorry don't mean to interrupt uh, no I was just going to say like it's just that for anyone that like me that maybe just wants to try and stick more to the story it can sometimes feel imbalanced and I don't necessarily think that's too bad because that's that bad because then like okay well then I'll go do some grinding and there's tons of ways you can do that because there's lots to explore because these games are really big so I don't want to. <clears throat> I don't want to make it sound like I'm shitting on these games. The other thing I would say is that, like, part of the issue comes back to the the games are heavily level scaled. Like the level, yeah. the level levels do a lot more to what you're like outside of just the raw stats that you have. Like levels do a lot to influence how much damage you do and take in a way that uh, creates incentive to like make sure that you're within a certain amount of uh a certain amount of health or, or sorry it's in a certain level range in order for a fight to be completable which 
can, as, as you mentioned, make it very difficult to just blast through the story. Uh, because, yeah, <laughs> the, the obvious reasons of, well, I'm five levels below, but because of the way that level affects things, that means yeah. that in any other game I'd be 20 levels below. <laughs> uh, to Xenoblade 3's credit, uh, the side quests are amazing. <laughs> like they're, they're much less MMO tier garbage than yes. the first one. No, even two, two as well. The side quests are really good, but three especially, like, a lot, some of the best storytelling even is in some of the side quests. Mm -hmm. Like, they're, they, they're very good, so... They're just in this weird position where they can't count on everyone doing all the side quests, but they want to make sure you've done at least some of them, so, right. like, just jetting through the core game is going to, like, fuck you over because the game's going to be impossibly hard. But if you do all of the side quests and all that content is good, then the game will be quite easy. <laughs> and the nice thing there is you can change the difficulty anytime, so... Just change it. It's not like there's mm. achievements or anything that are going to turn off. Just Did you just throw a grenade at your allies? <clears throat> uh, it's a gun that when it, you reload it, it, you throw it as a grenade. So, kind of? That explains some things, but really just makes a bunch of other things more confusing. Doesn't matter. Uh, the hit important a couple thing more. is, I didn't mean to. <laughs> I hit a couple more of... Uh, fire miners questions. Uh, this one should be relatively quick. Starfield aside, do you think that developers have gotten better at supporting lower NPCs? Need I remind you that the most popular graphic cards with Steam users are the RTX 3060, the GTX 1650, and the GTX 1060. Gonna be real with you. Don't know the difference between. Don't know what any of those are other than the RTX 3060 because, like. The naming schemas that NVIDIA has devised are completely inane. Yeah, that's a lot of um, numbers that are just mush. It's, it's, it's really hard to tell. What the, like the RTX 3060 was like the first one that was like, it's the lowest end of the, this is our ray tracing card from a couple of years ago. Uh, very, very few people are going to drop more than $1,000 for a top-of-the-line RTX. Yeah, like those, those like RTX cards that are like the RTX 4090, like they... They are not worth optimizing for. Doesn't matter. Worthless. Uh, in general, I think that the thing that's actually kept them in place as much as they have is just the PS4 and Xbox One or x86 machines. They're basically specialized computers. And so if you want something to run on the PS4, which has a giant install base, you just... You, you build for a low-end PC target. Yeah. And that keeps them in in place in, uh, in a way that uh, benefits a lot of uh, PC players. It's heavily benefited the Steam Deck. Uh, yeah, I think, I think the other nice thing is, as far as, like, Japanese games, the Switch is far and away the most popular system there so you get a lot of games that, yeah that's like, kept those in check as yeah, well they have to run on switch because no one's really buying a ps5 over there there's not really any to buy sony has been shortchanging the market in terms of uh unit supply to begin with but uh, but i says f16 was okay not sure how much impact it had i disagree on it being okay but i know that i'm in the minority <laughs> there uh I think but it's okay it's it's one of those things that 
it's one of those things that like it, it's a very it's a very down the middle experience. What you've played is pretty representative, uh, but the thing I would say about it is that I'm not sure how it would how it could have an impact simply by virtue of the fact that it's not really trying anything particularly risky. Like, a, a, like imagine a version of FF16 that sells like 20 million units, like an absurd number. Uh, compared to what the series normally sells. That impacts, like, FF17. But realistically, the kind of game they're making is already heavily derivative of the kind of things that, like, God of War, or, like, any of the, like, the general morass of third-party action game, but it has some RPG in it, like, just enough to be called sort of an action RPG, and it's sort of broody, and it's got kind of a like a, a very serious man for its protagonist and it's sort of like it, it sometimes tries to pretend that it has like a sense of humor about itself but it never lets that like actually puncture deeper than like uh, the occasional sardonic remark like you put all of that together it's like it is the most down the middle ass game you could make so it's even the most successful version of that game unprecedentedly successful in that franchise can't really have an impact outside of the franchise itself because it's already so much like everything else like i don't know what a heavily impactful ff16 looks like what does that bring to the table that you would be able to say yes ff16 is the reason someone did that mm-hmm. <laughs> and i i don't i i could not tell you uh so did the second yeah, half like, of FF sixteen feel rushed? Did you get to the second half? Because I sure did not. Uh, I'm in the second half. I mean, like, there's definitely stuff in there that is either them chopping shit out or uh, essentially advertising DLC, possibly both. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and spoil something. There is a reference to an icon named Leviathan. And you can find lore about it. And there's a point at the end game where someone brings up that, like, what happened to Leviathan the Lost, and that is never addressed. Oh, God. And it's one of those things that makes me ruefully think back to. God, this is, this is one of the reasons that I got, like, really, like, snotty about that goddamn game. Like, I hate it, but, like, the other thing is that, like,. They kind of tacitly threw every other Final Fantasy developer under the bus during the promotion of that video game. Did they? So there's promotional, uh, just like promotional shit around FF16, where there's like, we're releasing a complete game uh, uh, at launch. There will be wow. no day one patch. Blah 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 blah. And it's like, that's really shitty. Yeah. That's really shitty. Because the reason that the other game, the, that other Final Fantasy games have been released as they have, that FF7 is split into three parts, that FF15 was released the way that it was, is that's what management wanted. <laughs> like the the games, the the ultimately, and I'm sure that like the people in charge of FF16 know this because I'm sure that this was also a thing management wanted, which is why I'm not like 
saying like, oh, this is something that they came up with. This is definitely something marketing and management came up with in response to the fact that people complained that FF15 wasn't finished until its DLC was out, even though the DLC doesn't really add that much to it. Mm. Like, the the answer is that, like, fucking push back on that. That's a shitty thing to say. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and then of course, also again, a game that one ended up having to have a day one patch anyway, and a game that absolutely had DLC planned for it before it came out. Yep. You do not have you do not have DLC ready to announce, talk about, and as they've claimed, show before the end of the year. If you did not have it when your game launches in June, if you did not have it in the pipeline before the game came out. Yeah, so yeah, it was just. Yeah. I was just gonna say I will say this, like the first like five minutes of Final Fantasy fifteen where you see the four main characters pushing a car set to stand by me makes me more attached to those characters than anything I've played in Final Fantasy sixteen so far for its characters. Yeah. Was, I, I I won't go on this again because it's always my ten temptation to do so. Uh See, does FF7 Remake Part 2 have a greater license to go wild than Part 1? They wrote themselves a license when they ended Part 1 with the thematic destruction of the idea that canon was something that needed to be abided by. Mm. Which I think will actually cause them to do a little of column A and a little of column B. That game will probably make some sort of wild divergence at its climax. And what that divergence will be is unclear. But beyond that, uh, it's one of those things where, and I think they're aware of this, you still got to make sure that the game is recognizably FF7. And so you have to very much pick what part of it that you're going to do something wild with. Mm. But it's, uh, I'm, I'm very excited to see what they do because they've, they've shown remarkable restraint and I'm very interested but yeah uh but, but getting back to the the question that fireminer had had in the discord yeah i think i think that like the thing keeping things in check has largely been the need to keep to something that will run fine on consoles because most of these things are console games that find their way to PC. And you can tell because when you get a PC game that finds its way to consoles, you get something like the PS4 and Xbox One versions of Cyberpunk 2077. <laughs> games that run badly and in heavily compromised fashion because they made a game for PC and then pushed it onto consoles. Whereas most, most games are built to the spec of the consoles and then moved on to PC and they can have, they can run nicer, they can look better, but fundamentally they were designed to run on the consoles. I think what else has helped as well is just getting away from everyone having their own custom engine and a lot more people using like Unreal and Unity. Unreal, Unity, there's not really a whole lot of other options. Yeah. <laughs> Third option not yet found. That's true. Uh, and those have built-in lots of built-in options for scaling and building for multiple platforms. So, yeah, when you haven't built helps. a custom ass engine 
the like when you've got like one of the things that always helps is just access to a wealth of pre-existing technology yeah uh i mean like that's why a lot of switch ports that are weird miracle ports were even attempted was just like i remember one of the first ones uh doom 2016 when the switch was first announced no one would have expected that game to come to the switch and it was mostly uh like they sort of checked because like well vulcan works on the switch that's one of our uh, primary pieces of tech can we get a build running acceptably and it turned out that someone could uh but yeah like you like just being able to use just libraries of technology that are guaranteed and set to function on many platforms helps a lot like this game i'm playing right now like borderlands 3 like this is unreal wild there's all kinds of games on in unreal on <laughs> switch so and not that it the... still wasn't like i'm not saying it was an easy port but i think that oh yeah, not at all but like realistic. it's when when you can use parts that someone when you can modify from parts that actually already exist that helps yeah, a lot i remember exactly. One of the one of the things when when Bloodstained Ritual of the Night was originally announced, they were saying that they were going to put it on Wii U and Vita. Neither of those versions ended up happening. But one of the reasons that those were that, that was such a giant ask is that there was no official Unreal port to either platform. <laughs> and like, that's part of also why Mighty Number no. Nine, like it kind of runs shitty on most everything, but it runs the worst on Wii U because that's a UE three thing. It's, it's honestly. Un- unplayable i've actually played it it's terrible yeah yeah it's it, there's there's no there's no official unreal implementation on wii u Jeez. so they had to make it make it themselves imagine if the 3ds and vita versions had managed to come out Ooh. holy shit <laughs> we're, we're we're better off that that did not happen yeah. um but yeah like just it's it's a lot it's a lot to ask to like reinvent the wheel while being like it's the difference between like having having the manufacturing capacity to manufacture things like uh wheels and axles and car doors when you're told to make a car versus being told yeah just make a car uh i've got a bunch of metal <laughs> go to work <laughs> Good luck. Good yeah, luck, like the, like like it's the difference between not having to smelt a bunch of iron yourself, <laughs> uh, and you know when you have like those base parts to work from, like even if it's an incredibly challenge, like the set of constraints placed on you is incredibly challenging, you're gonna come up with a better car at the end than someone that had to, you know, you don't have a hammer, here's a rock. <laughs> They do the same things, right? Uh, but yeah, so just just standardization helps. <laughs> uh, speaking of, it's like the moment when you walk out of Midgar for the first time and realize there was a world map. Wow, what a moment. Yeah, that's one of those things that always sticks out with you. And I'm really excited that they're starting a game with that direct contrast mm-hmm. of like, you were always in Midgar doing, uh, you know, and I, I loved Midgar. I loved the expansions they made to Midgar. I think that the one section on the upper plate is enriches Midgar so much. Uh, getting to getting to see like the lives of like a 
fucking Shinra middle manager and just the notion of like, oh, and then you're fucking and like, you know, you suffer a workplace accident and now you're just suffering and there's not really any, like, you're just sort of le- like, it's, it's, it's an incredible uh, improvement. Like just adding that scene, it does wonders for that, uh, for filling out the notion of what living in Midgar means. But, uh, like FF, uh, one of the you know it, it is a strictly linear thing, and the addition, uh, like the the being able to contrast the conclusion of FF Seven remake, which you know strictly linear game, and into this new more open environment for rebirth. That once again, I'm going to point out one of the things I truly love about the attitude they've taken with rebirth is like. They they haven't completely re-engineered all these assets. FF7 Remake still looks good. They just used all that extra horsepower to make it so that they could also make they could make the environments bigger. <laughs> uh, well, I just found a bug in this game. Okay. Oh, I can't believe it. Uh, we can clown on FF8, but is that game too big and not popular enough to be remade versus other titles? It's it's a lot of work. It's it, like it's not FF7 levels of in the cultural consciousness. It's extremely. Uh, it would be extremely pre- expensive to remake to the spec of FF7 remake, and the potential reward is much lower. Uh, there's rumors of an FF9 remake, and I think if we wanted to see what a potential FF7 remake looked like. Or not an FF7 remake, an FF8 remake looked like, we would probably want to look at what this FF9, what, what this potential FF9 remake, what spec that's built to, because that would make more sense. Uh, but in, in general, like, the uh, 8, eight is just kind of in a weird middle child status because it's like 7 tonally and contextually, but it's not as popular as 7. Uh, and like nine is very unlike seven, uh, and hits a different part of the nostalgic demographic. So you could, it's easier to justify spending resources on a less extravagant FF nine remake than a less extravagant FF eight remake. Uh, we're, we're getting some real like wild allegations about what Square is cooking up because there's also claims of an FF ten remake, and I can't even imagine what that looks like. Oh uh, I mean, the the game still looks good, and it's re-released. Doesn't it? I mean, I think the original still looks good because it's mostly art direction. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I don't know, man. Like, I just, I just say what say what I see running around in the rumor mill. But yeah, like I have, I have no personal desire for an FF10 remake. Like my feelings on that game have softened somewhat. I still am not huge on it. Uh, but yeah, I don't know, man. Has <laughs> the ship really sailed on a Final Fantasy X three, or is that possible? Budai asks. If that if that FF ten remake comes to fruition, I'll believe a ten three is probably in the works at some stage. Uh, that's that's kind of it, though. Like th- that needs to be real for me to believe that there's a ten three coming because they need to have a big splashy way to reassert that into the consciousness because Final Fantasy X-2 came out 20 years ago. Uh, like, 
they, they you know because they they tried to sort of hint at like yeah you want to you want a 10 3 uh post the remasters and like i personally don't want it because i think basically every idea floated around it is bad uh but at the same time, like if they're gonna really try to make a ten three happen, it has to be after this ten remake. If that succeeds, if that succeeds, they do a ten two remake because that involves recycling basically all of the assets from the ten remake, and then they do a ten three. But uh, realistically, uh, it's it's been too long. Uh, <laughs> It's it's been too long. They they need to really make a splash, and now would be the time, quote unquote, for such a for a ten remake. Just because a game's been out about twenty, uh, a little over twenty years. By the time such a remake would come out, it would be like twenty five years long enough for like children who grew up with it to be absolutely enamored of the idea of a remake. But yeah, it's there's there's a lot of what ifs there. Um, What's next after DQ3 HD remake for that series remake? Why? Five makes sense. Uh, yeah, I, th I feel like five is like the next big ticket one. Uh, it's, it's the one that I would be most interested in purchasing uh, after we see DQ3 HD 2D. Yeah. But uh, I mean... I really want to remake a nine. Nine is one of those ones like that did crazy well. They have to bring it back at some point, yeah. uh, because for like an entire generation of Japanese children, that's their Dragon Quest three. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I I don't know uh, who they would task with doing that is the problem. Yeah. Was that did. Uh... Did level five do that one? Yeah, that was still level five. Okay. So I thought. Uh, let's see. Udai says, please give us an updated FF, uh, not FF, DQ9 with online back. That would be nice. Yeah. No, that would be great. Like the, I've only played the multiplayer that maybe once or twice, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> really if, cool. if if that ever if that ever happened, then we would have to. We'd have to do some like shenanigans streams that oh, were yeah. that. <laughs> but... I know, like getting that was before Street Pass. That was like my favorite thing going to conventions and stuff. Was you know, yeah, it was a weird proto Street Pass. I'm certain yeah. that that's the, the success of that caused uh, certainly inspired Street Pass. Yeah, I would believe it because that was really cool. Like you, mm -hmm. you go to the inn and like you get to talk to all the the people. And get all kinds of items and stuff. It was it was cool. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm gonna hit another one of these questions that we've got here uh, from Fireminer. The Steam Deck could have never done it without having a lot of uh, a lot subsidized by Steam, as well as having its own proprietary Linux distro that soft locks you from purchasing games from other online marketplaces. How expensive would the Steam Deck be if right out of the box you're given the choice to install your favorite OS and freely buy games from their marketplace if you're choosing? Will the price difference be as high as the gap between carrier phones and unlocked phones? And I'm asking this as someone who dropped a thousand bucks for one of those premium Windows handhelds. 
you definitely run into... I think it would probably, like, just based on the hardware inside it, it probably end up closer in, uh, closer in price to some of the other... Uh, some of the other like competitor handhelds that are strictly specifically gaming handhelds like the the rog ally that sort of thing yeah uh, also i mean i'm no defender of steam but you make it sound like they're purposely trying to lock you out of things which i think it's more about making a good user experience like they have guides on how to install windows it's both. Okay, yeah it's probably both but it's it's one of those things that like they they definitely appreciate the fact that you kind of like you have to really be trying to run non-steam games on yeah. it uh the like the the bigger thing that i think fully subsidizes the steam deck as much as anything is just that the steam deck is cobbled together from tons of initiatives that valve like at one point or another put in place and then sort of like left to rot and they all just kind of like got like kit bashed together into a functional UI experience because like when you when you look at what the Steam Deck is actually doing when you switch between modes and all sorts of other things it's like oh it's using stuff that they had designed for the Steam controller and then that went nowhere and it's using stuff that was designed for like various UX initiatives for like Steam Big Picture and that sort of stuff that no one really uses like there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that's like we're reusing this tech that we kind of already had lying around like a whole bunch of uh hardware uh work that they had put in to like building relationships with suppliers and manufacturers uh like a whole bunch of those were you know created by virtue of when they were really pushing hard on the index and the steam controller as mentioned like all of those things that like it's like well we have all of these like contracts and relationships existing lying around and we you know like there's a burgeoning uh handheld market so between like various failed valve experiments ultimately subsidized a lot of the r&d for the steam deck because they could just sort of use stuff they'd already made uh but yeah it's it's just one of those uh things that uh they they definitely i, I think if there was less of a game because, like, part of the reason that like the Steam Deck can be as cheap as it is is that I, I would imagine I've I've never looked at how much it would actually cost to manufacture and ship a Steam Deck. I would imagine that like if they're making a profit on the deck itself, it's probably a pretty razor thin one. Like mostly just enough to make sure that they're not losing money on it, but it's a guarantee of like I, I would imagine that they're making some degree, just like not a ton. But it's a guarantee of like someone having more excuses to buy Steam games, uh, and like they're not capricious enough to force people to uh, to only buy from Steam. But they're not going to make it easy on you. Mm. Uh, and then the other thing, uh, as brought up, like speaking of things that were kit bashed together to make this possible. Uh, they're, they're also harvesting like the amount of uh, the, the Linux initiative, SteamOS, that sort of thing, uh, since they'd already done that as well. Um, all those things together kind of 
made it so that like the R and D on this thing was not a horrendous expense that they needed to get back. Uh, but yeah, all all those things together uh, kind of are what causes this. I think that if it were quote unquote unlocked, it would probably be a couple hundred bucks more expensive, but certainly no more expensive than something like the Rog Ally, which, well, that's that's some that's a case where they pretty much have to make money on the hardware. <laughs> Uh, and that's beefier hardware than the deck. Uh, so I, I don't think you would get to full unlocked cell phone uh, sorts of margins, uh, but uh, simply because there's there's no uh, there's no subscription subsidy on the deck. Like someone buying a deck is more likely to buy Steam games. It's certainly caused an uptick in how many Steam games I buy. Same. But it's it's not a steady income flow the way that like a cell phone provider being able to lock you into two more years of a hundred bucks a month. Like, yeah, they're getting way more than the cost of that cell phone of that. Uh, like, they can subsidize the shit out of that cell phone because they they will get their money back. You are under contract. Uh, the the deck, like a sale of a deck is not enough of a guarantee to to really reach like, you know, huge subsidies in terms of how much it, uh, how much they can afford to lose on it. So it just incentivizes them to like, yeah, make it as cheap as we can and, you know, maybe make our profit margin relatively slim but you know, they they can't exactly afford to just eat. Lo- well, they could because they're Valve and Steam makes Steam is basically just free money for them. Uh, like they spend a lot of money on infrastructure and maintenance, but like the actual the actual amount taken is is, is absurd. Um, I mean, that fucking app looks barely different than it did when it came out. Mm-hmm. They're not really spending a lot on updating the interface to that thing either. Yeah, the Steam has not looked terribly different in about 15 years. Which is fine. Uh, not yeah, it doesn't to. need to. But it is one of those things where it's like the a lot of the outflowing cost is going to be back-end shit and yeah. logistics. Uh-huh. But yeah, I, I think that a a quote unquote unlocked Steam Deck uh, probably forces you to pay for an OS license separately, and probably costs a couple hundred bucks more. Uh, okay, would the 3DO work nowadays? Had the 3DO company locked their console quote unquote architecture to their exclusive platform? No. Uh, the problem the 3DO had was that the manufacturers were not people that had the, were not like the way that the 3DO would have to work to subsidize its cost is that they would have to guarantee some amount of money to the manufacturers. Uh, The 3DO, like when gold star made a 3DO or when Panasonic made a 3DO, they couldn't, they couldn't collect licensing fees. So it wasn't the 3DO was having problems with like, licensing costs on the 3DO. It was that like Panasonic and Goldstar and whoever else made uh, 3DOs, they couldn't 
make money off of it. So, like, a proprietary storefront, like, potentially helps 3DO itself, but unless they're, like, doing some sort of revenue split uh, with the manufacturers, there's still no incentive for manufacturers to lower the price of the 3DOs they manufacture. So... They would need to potentially work out some, like, if they potentially worked out some sort of revenue split based on, like, determining how many games are being bought from any specific manufacturer's 3DO, but then a lot of companies don't bother because they're all competing with each other, and they don't have control over the distribution, so, like, there's there's just a million things that, like, the 3DO concept just doesn't fit with games as they are made as of now. Um, given the success of Baldur's Gate 3, did Fallout or the Elder Scrolls have enough pull for Bethesda to double down on the PC port first by pushing back the console release if Microsoft ever let them? No. <laughs> uh, I also don't think that would make any difference. Yeah, I don't, I don't think... Like, like, the... Baldur's Gate has a weird confluence of circumstances around it. Not the least of which is that it was out for two years before it was out. Uh, and it was self-published by... Larian. But it's it's a weird confluence of circumstances. Uh, but the other thing is that the core Baldur's Gate audience, whose word of mouth spread Baldur's Gate 3 uh, the way that it did, is heavily hardcore in a way that the broader audience for the TES and Fallout games that those have pursued isn't. The the way the people that made Skyrim a like fifteen million seller or whatever are not the same people that the same one or two million people who uh, convinced another eight million to buy Baldur's Gate three. Like those things are super super different. Uh, I, I don't actually know what the actual numbers are on Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, but in general, uh, a lot of the hardcore fans of things like the really old Elder Scrolls games have long since decided that fucking Bethesda betrayed them. They're not going to get that hyped and that like evangelistic about uh, a new Elder Scrolls game. There's There's not really a way to bridge that gap. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just uh, there, there's a lot of moving parts there, and I don't think that uh, the the kind of groundswell around Baldur's Gate three is something that you could build a marketing plan around, and I don't I think you'd be kind of foolish to try. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, just how much has Twitch distorted the discourse around the success of individual titles? Let's remember how big Gundam Evolution and Rumble versus streaming numbers were and how those games died. Yeah, I mean, like, <coughs> when a game first comes out, there's a lot of people that will watch a stream of it as a way of saying, do I care about this? Yeah. 
and that has like a real funhouse mirror effect on perception of the title's success because you get tons of people watching it but not because they're committed to it they don't know what what it is yet they don't know if they care after that first couple weeks if the viewing viewers are still sustained or if the numbers of players are going up then maybe there's like a tail to it but that first week like big streamer numbers mostly just means a bunch of people are peripherally aware of the title but not enough to commit to it Mm. uh so there's there's some fool's gold in in those big stream numbers that you see right after something comes out especially (laughs) for a live service game where if a lot of people are watching it that fully means that the live service game has caught their attention they don't know if they care enough to even download it Uh, i mean i think a good way to tell too is not just necessarily like are people watching but is especially if it's like initially um you know these are like paid streams like there's a lot of uh funded streams yeah that's a big big part of marketing at this point is paid promotional streams like if you see a lot of those big streamers continuing to play a game well beyond that period like i talked about this a lot when remnant 2 came out like i saw lots of destiny 2 streamers were definitely paid to initially do some remnant 2 streaming but a ton of them like Kept we're playing, ob- obsessively playing the game afterwards, mm-hmm. not just playing a little bit, like obsessively playing through it and digging in for all the secrets mm-hmm. and whatnot. Like, yeah, and they got they got their money's worth. Yeah, no, <laughs> that that game did well, and it deserved to do well. And I will mm-hmm. continue to try and convince people to buy it because it freaking rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, just one of those things that like. It's it's a lot. Uh, it's a lot to. There's a lot of noise and smoke around a game first coming out, but uh, the uh, the the numbers because of those uh, of big streamers getting paid to do that just means the only thing you've successfully proven at that point is a lot of people will watch the ad, but. Anyone who's ever looked at conversion numbers on ads knows that that doesn't mean shit. <laughs> you need to... <laughs> There's a lot more that between that and viable long-term success. Uh, is Final Fantasy series at a point where its online titles are more important than its offline? There's only two of them, so it's impossible to fully say. Uh, that's a weird question to me, too. Yeah, so so broadly, I would say that they're important for different reasons. Yeah. Because a, an MMO that's successful is the thing is one of the things that you use to make all of your other projects inherently less risky. Yeah. Uh, when when tons of people are playing a game that they have to subscribe to every month, and you know you keep like you know you're taking in a million $15 subscriptions a month. Like that's, that's quite, that's a lot to, to, that's a lot. That's not nothing. Uh, I mean, eventually like those projects are going to settle into like mostly just your hardcore base. Like I think Final Fantasy 14 is probably still well above that, but like eventually it's going to be like World of Warcraft where it's, 
a consistent but smaller number. Yeah, the the infinite the the other issue you sort of run into with these is that like it's really hard to tell when to start like sunsetting the old one. Yeah. Because like the thing that I think F fourteen is getting to this point in its life cycle, eventually you the the hardcore players have eaten all the content and will kind of never be happy again. Yeah. <laughs> Which isn't to say that all hardcore F fourteen players are unhappy, but there's a significant contingent of them that I've I've noticed are kind of just always mad. <laughs> like they're always mad because like there's not enough to do or there's too much to do or this class just got changed or the, like they need uh, at some point, your MMO needs to be replaced because you need a fresh start where people have not already, like, chewed through every aspect of it yeah. and become, like, have developed things that they hate about it and things that can't be changed about it and blah, 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 blah. You, like, that's... You, you need to have a replacement in line simply because those players become the people who hate it, but never stop playing it. Those become the type and, of fans that make something like World of Warcraft Classic a thing, which to me is a and ultimately stupid project. And, and ultimately, the thing that you see when you look at the reactions to World of Warcraft Classic is they don't actually know why they're mad at this point. Yes. And it's kind of, like, it's, it's legitimately kind of sad because it's one of those things that's like, it's because you can't just be back in 2004, I'm sorry. It doesn't exist. Yeah. You can't go back to a time when you didn't understand how the game worked. Uh, the only way to do that is to make a new game that you don't know how it works yet. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think that... But ultimately, those are tremendously risky projects, even more so than like an ex extremely expensive uh, single-player game. Because... What if you get FF14 1.0 again? Yeah. Can you afford is it possible to fix that? Can you afford to try that again? You probably spent even more than you did on FF14 1.0. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I would say definitely a no. As, I mean, if if you going back to the World Warcraft comparison, you look at that as it's like is this the most important thing in the Warcraft franchise and I would look at it and say I 100% guarantee you, as far as Warcraft properties go, more people are playing Hearthstone than are playing World of Warcraft. So mm -hmm. even though that one may be more visible, like there's a lot of Final Fantasy stuff and a lot of people playing Final Fantasy stuff. So I think that it's one of those things where like the... The MMO fandom is... The Final Fantasy Online fandom is not entirely separate. But it is distinct from yes. the single-player fandom, and I think that ultimately the single-player fandom is probably a little larger at the very least. Uh, but of course, the single-player games are fractious as well, so that doesn't come out as easily. That doesn't immediately jump out in the same way. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh... Budai asks, are players getting too good at Souls games? How do you balance this versus new players? Uh, I think <laughs> From's solution has been to routinely make games that evoke Souls, but have remarkably different variations on its mechanics. 
whether you look at something like Bloodborne or Sekiro. Um, uh, I think the easy way to do that is just quote unquote easy difficulty <laughs> toggle. Mm -hmm. I, I think eventually they will have to relent and make like because like a lot of features in the Souls subgenre are designed to allow difficulty toggling without actually saying easy, normal, hard. Uh, just in terms of like, you know, when you bring in a second player, that's that's you turning on an easy mode. Yeah. Like, that's what it's for. Uh, but in, in general, uh, the... Eventually, I think that they may end up having to, at the very least, make more explicit challenge modes. Uh, potentially like that Covenant in Dark Souls 2 that a bunch of people accidentally joined that makes the game harder. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that that would be kind of necessary at some stage. Uh, Tam says this does not look like Fairy Tale, and that's because it isn't. And I need to uh, the game, and I'm too lazy to do it now. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, let's it's hit a one more. Tale with guns. That sounds awful. Yes, um, it does. So I'm gonna. We want to hit this last question since it's the last in the Discord pile that we've been slowly chewing through from uh, from Fireminer. Uh, speaking of Twitch success, Armored Core 6, how many people do you think have become become Mecha fans because of that game, and how many have only become Armored Core fans? I think the vast majority are just Armored Core fans. Yeah. Uh, I have to see any new Mecha... Uh, I'd love to see any new Mecha fan, but like in Fire Emblem's case, I'm afraid people only becoming fans of a specific franchise instead of the entire genre. At least Witch from Mercury made its fans watch not only other Gundams, but other Tamino shows. Uh, yeah, like, I think I think I vast fans like bad tech games, so wow. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm sorry, the Moving older. Moving along games. from that inflammatory statement. Uh, Fuck most of the older games is what I'm saying. Moving along from that inflammatory statement. Uh, <laughs> what I would say is that, like, there will probably be some people that decide that they're super into like the aesthetic and tone, and decide to seek out non-armored core mecha games and you know perhaps mecha anime that sort of thing i, lo I love i love robots i love mecha anime uh i am uh neck deep into watching victory gundam with a group uh what oh we summoned tam <laughs> through the mecha discussion <laughs> we summoned tam from the uh, the ether yeah, I, I couldn't hear what he had said. Oh. He just said, I love Mecha, I think. Oh, uh, yeah, gotcha. that's all I said. Gotcha, that's gotcha. But, I, I but didn't yeah. want to yell too loudly and blow out your eardrums. I appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, just, just to finish out the thought. Yeah, I, I think that... Uh, like a lot of things, like... To look at it another way... Uh, Game of Thrones didn't make a ton of people get into a whole bunch of other low fantasy uh, shit. Nope. Uh, like, it's just one of those things that, like, a lot of people, their desire for genre uh, fiction is largely sated by the big, the, the biggest version of it for the same reason that 
the Lord of the Rings films in the early aughts did not give rise to a ton of just general fantasy fans. Well, even Harry Potter in in yeah. the late nineties didn't, because um, I will tell you, I was reading far more involved fantasy novels than Harry Potter at the time, and I still got teased in high school for it. Yeah, it's one of those things. Like the the big popular thing ex- escapes its own genre, mm. uh, and right now Armored Core is doing that with with like the the entire like mecha context the it is popular enough that it has escaped its own genre i didn't even realize uh, it was doing that well it, oh, it's it's, it's it, sold quite well it's sold very well yeah that's good let's see did they, did they give actual Ex numbers Machina, people that'd be nice wouldn't it yeah. i accidentally typed ace combat six my brain is broken <laughs> i have uh, i have a uh, uh what a, a different one too uh, let me. It's in my. It's on my game list. Let me go to my M's. More mecha. Yeah. Um. It's in. It's in early access and has been for a while. But uh, that's. Where is it? Here we go. Mass Builder. That's a weird name. <laughs> well, the mass is supposed to be a acronym for. Mechanical Assault Skeleton Suit. Jesus. Of course it is. <laughs> uh, okay. I once made like a giant list of things that uh, mecha shows call robots so that they don't just have to say robots. <laughs> and it was like 50, 50 things strong of just things I could think of off the top of my head. The time you wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? I said at the time you wrote it. Yeah, I was just to say about like six years ago. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's the list—it's only gotten more. Yeah. Uh, okay, so as I far mean, as heck, if we really want to push that list, Ray Earth is technically a mecha. Oh yeah, no, that was part of my list. Uh, okay, me... okay, I wasn't—I wasn't sure because not yeah. a lot of people realize that. Oh, these—the Guardian <laughs> Beasts were really mecha all along. Yeah, they're just big robots. Magic okay. Knight Ray Earth. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Ray Earth was uh, the the three guardians, uh, Celine, Ray Earth, and what and whatever the wind one was called. They were all giant robots. In the end, it. need to watch that anime. Love that game. That's good. It's, I, I would say that the the first season is markedly better than the second season, but they're both at least worth watching. Uh, let's see. So I'm trying watch, to get like you can watch oh. their pseudo sequel series, Code Geese. That's, that's very different. It is very different, uh, yeah. But it's by the same people, which is why I said it's, it's not an it's, actual sequel like Chobits like, is to Edna Claire. It's uh, like it, it's got Clamp character designs. I forget who wrote it, but it definitely doesn't feel like Clamp wrote it. Well, uh, um, one of the people from Clamp went off and uh, has gone independent of one of the original hmm. four. So I think um, one of the other people had to pick up for that uh, for her. Although she. Um, she does still do stuff with them because they're good friends, but... Yeah, this is getting in the weeds. I'm trying to yeah, figure sorry. out... Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, when did this come out? So I'm, just, I'm trying to get like an estimation of like what kinds of numbers Armored Core 6 actually came out. Actually did. So in about two weeks, it had sold... Uh, it had sold at least 1.2 million copies on Steam itself. 
Damn. Uh, the claim was that the most that most of the game's copies had been sold on PS5, which allegedly had sold 64% of copies. So 1.2 million would make up at most uh, about like it could make up at most 36% of the game's sales. So like the low end estimate as of like a week or so after release would have been like three to four million copies. Damn. Yeah. So yeah. And, and uh, oh, a wild now, number for the series. Yeah. Yeah. And now going to people going to the series, um, you know, it's it wouldn't necessarily bring fans to the mecha genre, but there were probably fans of like Elden Ring and Dark Souls who were willing to give it a try who'd never gave Armored Core a try before because they mm-hmm. enjoyed those other games. Mm. Uh, okay, but I asked something in the comments. Did the needed changes to Fire Emblem's permadeath help the series come back from near its final point? Yeah. Yes. 100%. Yeah. Uh, it, it turns out that, like, even the people who like playing with permadeath don't actually how, how to put this, they don't quote-unquote play with permadeath. They almost all quit when someone dies and reload. People don't want their Fire Emblems to die. Uh, I, I do think, honestly, I was, I was ranting about this uh, with some friends yesterday, I think. I think that at some point they're going to have to rip the Band-Aid off and just remove permadeath as a primary option and make it so that, like... Because one of the things that they're running into is that people really like the characters, and they want the characters to interact, but the characters can't interact, their stories can't intertwine in a meaningful fashion, because there's no guarantee of that any of them are alive. Mm. And so, one of the things that they're probably going to have to rip the Band-Aid off and do is just make it so they can't die anymore. Like, potentially they could put in a mode where, like, once a character gets cut down in battle, you're not allowed to use them anymore. But... At some point, I think they're gonna have well, they to just make it. they kind of did that with Path of Radiance because at least story characters for that one weren't able to. Uh, they would still show up for the story segments, of course. But the, yeah, I'm aware that there's there's precedent for that. I'm saying they're gonna kind of have to do that with everyone. Yeah, like you make a you make a slightly smaller cast because a lot of the casts are gigantic because they need redundancies in case someone dies horribly, and you just make the principal game mode one where it's like. Yeah, characters come back when they die. I think uh, I think the alternate option there is they need to change how they do permadeath. Like I think just oh well this character gets knocked out in battle now they're dead is too extreme and I think there should be I don't know maybe if they die this many number of times in battle or there's ways you can save them in the battle just so just get out of that mode where, well, most people are just going to reload their save because this character just died. Like, there should be a way to save them before they die. And I think that would also add interesting dynamics to battle where, okay, this character just got knocked down. Do I let them die or do I, you know, kind of adjust my strategy on the fly to try and go save them? Yeah, it's it's something that like there there's multiple solutions. I think that based on the audience that's been cultivated by Fire Emblem over the past ten years and 
just the general uh, desire to shrink the like what I feel like the necessary what what feels necessary is shrinking the possibility space, shrink the amount of uh, <laughs> things in the narrative that you can't rely on, yeah. so that you can use all these characters that people have shown they're extremely attached to. Uh, I, th I think on some level they need to pursue, at the very least, one, potentially a combination of these two ideas. Uh, there there needs to be like a greater degree of being able to rely on, yeah, this character's not dead. <laughs> yeah. We can just be sure that they're not dead. Uh... Oh, thank you, Budai. Oh, that's very kind of you, Budai. Yeah. Budai says, you guys are still some of the most interesting and knowledgeable game podcasts there is. Thanks for all the memories over the years. And thank you for you tuning in and providing questions. Yeah, it's been good to have you. It's yes. been good to have you listening all these years. Uh, we don't have uh, a ton of listeners, and we appreciate all of just, you, honestly. Yeah, it's just nice that so many of you have been loyal. But yeah, um, and I, I, I will, I will always bow down to Gaijin and and, uh, <laughs> F and Dave here for with their knowledge. I, I know next to nothing compared to you two. Some days, we're 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 fonts of very specific knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, to, to close out the Fire Emblem thoughts, I, I do think that it is something that they're going to have to confront sooner than later, that the the two ideals that uh, here do not peacefully coexist, and that like the fans of hardcore permadeath Fire Emblem are going to maybe find themselves more in the same space as like Pokemon Nuzlockers, where they're maybe having to to play with some self-imposed limits rather than game-imposed limits. Mm. And I could be wrong. Maybe they maybe they go for uh, trying to continue to square that circle. It's just my my personal feeling is that they're they're reaching sort of a breaking point based on what has been popular in the series because they did engage, which is a neat game and is definitely meant in some sense in some degree to be a throwback. And it definitely like it's it's a really cool game. It definitely did not have the impact that Three Houses did. No. Uh -huh. And a lot, honestly, probably most of that comes down to how much do people love the characters. And so when you realize you've accidentally stumbled into making character-based games, you start having to make character-based decisions. Mm. But. That's uh, that's why they don't pay me the big bucks. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's let's hit one from the big old question list since we won't be here next me week. To make Fire Emblem games, I would just be making Shining Force games. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Shining Force is really just friendly Fire Emblem. <laughs> one final question: Do Pokemon fans often ask for one thing and not realize the change or backlash changes, or is it different groups? I think that, like, I'd expand that out to most people consuming something don't fully understand why they like it. And I don't mean that as an insult. I think that's true of me as well. There are a lot of things where, like, I couldn't usefully explain why I like something. But just in general, like, people ask for changes. And one of the things that people making things end up having to learn is 
try to figure out why they asked for that because there's a good chance that they don't actually they know they want something different they know that there's something they don't like they don't know how to fix it <laughs> uh, because that's not their job the it's the job of the developer the writer the director whatever it's the job of it's their job to find a way to to fix it quote unquote to ch like to decide whether it's worth changing and to change it but like the the you know the consumer will give you feedback that's uh, that gives clues that essentially have to be analyzed forensically like what was actually the problem here and you you often see uh corrections that don't work mm -hmm. because because a creative team maybe uh perhaps due to executive pressure reacted in a very specific fashion to uh what the audience said it wanted and then you end up seeing that people ultimately don't end up liking it uh so i guess to answer the question i think that a lot of times it is the same people complaining back and forth and not really realizing it but pokemon is also a big enough like when you're selling a game to 20 million people like even the loudest 10 percent is going to be a million people who won't shut up mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, case in point the decks so we're gonna Oh god, yeah. Uh, let's see, uh, let me hit something lightweight, footloose and fancy free. Um, uh, Goddamn claptrap! Load my game already, uh, son of a bitch. Okay, so this is a this is a weird one, but we're gonna hit this real quick since there's a new Sonic game. When you talk about franchises, are they only iconic because they continue to show uh, to shove it down our throats and constantly remind us of their existence? For example, will anyone care about Sonic? Would anyone care about Sonic had Sega stopped making new games after the Genesis ended, like what they did to Alex Kidd? Sonic embedded himself in the mind of. 90s children <laughs> to such a degree and then that the notion that there was no mainline Sonic game on Saturn is generally considered one of the main things that killed that platform. I do think but certainly didn't help. Yeah, like certainly it, it you know, it it was one of the reasons that like in the US the Saturn goes from definitely not selling as well as they hoped to abject failure. Mm. Uh, but like uh, to, to look at it more specifically uh, or less specifically I should say uh, like I, I would say that it that Alex Kidd kind of proves the opposite because Sega spent years riding that horse hoping that someone would one day care about Alex Kidd. And it never worked. Like, even in places where the Master System was popular, like in Europe and Brazil, like, Alex Kidd did fine, but there's not a huge groundswell of Alex Kidd fandom. Mm. There was that one remake of Miracle World that, and I, that looked kind of bad. <laughs> but, like, that's kind of it. Like, there's not a huge... 
group of people who literally grew up with Alex Kidd who care. But you look at, at, at Sonic, and in the period where there was just no Sonic, those fans went nuts. Mm-hmm. They made their own Sonics. The reason Sonic Mania existed is that there was 20 years of children who had cared about Sonic so much that they had spent years analyzing how its physics worked, that they had made their own games desperately trying to recreate Sonic. And the Sonic uh, Mania is considered one of the best modern Sonics made. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, it's 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 an all-time great and like Although but, Frontiers apparently was decent. It's very Frontiers is quite good. Better than uh, decent. Okay, it yeah, just kind of looks very bland the world itself. Uh, it's it's one of those, it's it's got it gets more interesting the more you get into yeah. it. The okay. first uh, the first area is a little bland, but like I was not a Sega kid, so like mm-hmm. people kind of have to explain Sonic to me. I, I the best I ever mm-hmm. did was emulated Sonic Two and got to the fourth world, fifth world. Casino night. Uh, fourth fourth uh, stage is Casino night. Fifth would be think Hilltop. Okay. Uh, yeah. Hill Hilltop. Okay, yeah. Um yeah, that's 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 one of the lesser levels in Sonic 2 so I can understand stopping there. But um no, it was just, it was more of the fact that that I I would start playing had Sonic other things to do. Too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not other things, just other games. Yeah, well, other games are other things. But uh yeah, what what I would say about and Sonic Superstars seems to be quite decent as well. Yeah. But uh what I, what I was going to say about it was that, like, there is, like, certainly a character uh, will eventually, you know, like, they, they will push and push and push until a character or franchise uh, breaks through. But you kind of have to start with some kind of spark. Like, you can't. You cannot make that that flame go up ex nihilo. There needs to be something that sparked it, because that's the thing that separates Sonic from the nine hundred attempts to make Sonic based on the fact that someone had already made Sonic. Like I could do. Do, do I start going down the list of Sonic knockoffs? I can. I can go on for a while. Frontier Planet or what is that? No, Freedom Planet. No, I'm not. No, I am talking about contemporaneous Sonic oh. knockoffs. Uh, man, so many. How do you feel about Time Dominator First, known as Socket in the U.S. for some reason? Never heard of it. Uh, it's a weird duck with a plug coming out of his ass. Um, uh, Arrow the Acrobat. Arrow the Acrobat. Zero the Kamikaze Squirrel. His spinoff, Bubsy. Uh, you've got you've got awesome <laughs> possum kicks Doctor Machino's butt. If you've ever wanted to know what it looks like when a Genesis game runs at 15 frames a second, play awesome possum kicks Doctor Machino's butt. Please don't play that. That game is one of the worst things I've ever experienced. Um, Was Rocket uh, Knight pre Sonic or after Sonic? It is post Sonic, but it actually I, I, the thing I will say about Rocket Knight kind of not a platformer. <laughs> No, yeah, no, I'd agree with that. It 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 has platforming in it, but it was made by it was directed by Nobuya Nakazato, who also directed Contra Hardcore, and that is much closer to its logical <laughs> uh, successor. But I was going to uh, bring up Rocket Knight, actually. Yeah, Rocket Knight's really neat, uh, but yeah, very much uh, more of a Contra style game that is cute. Uh, also excellent. 
Oh yeah, excellent. Um, the Super Nintendo Sparkster is also quite good, though not as good. And Genesis Sparkster is acceptable. Uh, it's got some real questionable ideas in it. And then the Revival Rocket Knight for the Xbox 360 and PS3 is pretty decent. Yep. Underrated. Um, but yeah. Uh, that moment one of your eyebrow hairs gets stuck in your glasses. Ow. Oh, I hate ow, it. Ow, hate ow, it. Ow, 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 ow. I can feel that pain. <laughs> okay, moving, moving to the end of this, though. You can see those characters where, or, or like, you know, franchises where they push and push and push, and it just never breaks through. And I, I would blame that on, there was no organic excitement around them. Uh, when, I, when I think of this, I think uh, most specifically of... Uh, when Ubisoft was pushing the first Watch Dogs, and people kind of like Watch Dogs, like they keep doing them, and people every, every time there's like a desire for people, people have a desire to be more excited about them than they seem to be, because it's one of those things where it's like the idea of just being able to hack in and like completely uh, and and do missions in this sort of espionage-ish fashion is really exciting, and then you know you play them and they're kind of generic but like i remember when they were marketing watchdogs one one of the key things that they uh one, one of the things they really tried to push they tried to make people like its protagonist they tried to make him a big deal there's they were selling fucking his fucking hat and they kept calling it his iconic hat every time they talked about it they wanted that guy to be huge and no human being has ever in their lives cared about aiden pierce you don't know if I just made his name up or not. Um, <laughs> and like that's what you get when you just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. You get like a franchise that can sell. Watch Dogs, Watch Dogs sells. Um, but it always seems to sort of like... There, there's always a hope whenever it comes out that like maybe this time it'll be as exciting as it seems like it should be. And it never really seems to pull it off. Uh, and I think that's that's the stink that ends up following franchises where, like, certainly a large amount of Sonic's longevity is that he was a huge success to start with, and they kept riding that success. But there was also a period of, like, five years where there were no new Sonic games pretty early, <laughs> pretty early, early in his lifespan. Yep. Uh, and people, you know, people saw the void and sought more. So I, I think the uh it, it there's only so much that like really canny marketing can do <laughs> see uh slatter and lineup in japan was more impressive with suicode and lunar although that suicode and port's not great same as the symphony of the night port their ps1 games ported to saturn and they just don't work that well uh was popolo croy on saturn too i don't think so Remember Popolo Cry? I do. Have Remember the, when we uh, finally got that on PSP? I do. It's kind of meh. Remember have the uh, Popolo Cry X Story of Seasons game. I was hoping you were about to say that you have the. I was hoping that you were about to say that you have the Popolo Cry roguelike. What? Tell me more. 
There is a Popolo Croix roguelike that came out on PS1, and you'll never guess what it's called. Popolo Croix Mystery Dungeon? Popo Rogue. Oh, <laughs> yes. That is a great name. Yes. Popo Rogue. It didn't come out in English, did it? Of course not. <sighs> we didn't get any of those until the PSP game. P.U.S. Isn't that the main character of Anthem? You already think made was... me play Anthem. What more do you need from me? You're, bad. You're just going to get destroyed every day forever. Why do you got to play bad games, Wheels? <laughs> you can uh, say. Sometimes it's you can fun. Say it's well. Except for Neptunia. Neptunias are never bad games. It's true. Mm. You speak truth. Except mm. for Super Neptunia RPG, but that's not because it's but that's eh, not that, that one's okay. I wouldn't call it bad. You've nepped your last nep. <laughs> um, <laughs> By the way, new you heard the news, right? Start spreading the news. More Neptunia. I am leaving today. New mainline Neptunia. Mm. So mm. I wonder what the I wonder what the heck they're going to name that. Oh, I'm sure it'll be hyper dimension Neptunia. Uh, what was the what was the last one? It was like Mega Mega Dimension Neptunia V two. Like, Whereas fuck? V is for victory. Three. Stand up just to name the, the victory. V2, then the next one will be Neptunia eight. There you go. <laughs> I mean, I already whenever I saw Mega Neptunia Dimension V two, I was like, how did they get to seven of these already? I don't think they did. And the worst part no, is that, yeah, I know that it's not actually seven, but the worst part is that there's significantly more than seven Neptunia games. There are. I think that one is only the fifth mainline game. Right? Yeah, but the, if we're if we're talking um, non-mainline games, it might be the twelfth. Yeah. Uh, fourth. Fourth is it? Because there's. I, I'm looking at the list right now. There's re, uh, Rebirth 1, Rebirth okay. 2, Rebirth 3, which was V generation. Oh, that's right. So Rebirth that was... 3 was V. Fuck. Yeah, so so it was technically <laughs> only the fourth mainline game. Spinoff games. Producing Perfection. <laughs> Goddess Blackheart. Actions Unleashed. Megatagmension Mega Blanc plus Neptunia versus Zombies. Super Dimension Neptunia versus Sega Hard Girls. Cyber Dimension Neptunia 4 Goddesses Online. Super Neptunia RPG. Neptunia Shooter. Neptunia Virtual Stars. Dimension Tripper Neptune. Top Nep. Neptunia Sisters vs. Sisters. Chojigen Game Neptune Game Maker R Evolution. Okay, I'm done. Video games are fake now. Um, so the a, podcast is over forever. Neptune. When am I going to get that? Neporogue. Neporogue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, nep- uh, there was also Neptunia versus uh, Senran Kagura. That did happen. What about, uh, wasn't the Neptunia X uh, Sega Hard Girls game? Did you say that one? No, he mentioned that one. Yeah, I mentioned Super okay. Neptunia versus Sega Hard Girls, which both of these exist to try to inculcate Sega nostalgia into an unsuspecting Japanese public. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> I think that's enough discussion for the night. I'm ready to pop okay. off. So let's, uh, we're, we're going to be gone for a couple of weeks. There will still be shenanigans on the next couple Sundays, but yep. there will be no, uh, there will be no Q and a quests next Thursday or the following Thursday. Yeah. I, I may do a stream, but it's just going to be, you know, 
me playing something it's not going to be a, a podcast so um i mean you can so bring your questions if i do a stream i can't promise i will have as many answers <laughs> as some of my co-hosts and, have and then for, i will for... be at work until my normal time so don't mm. don't expect anime ans- anything anime related answers until i get back to <laughs> <laughs> or guys so, yeah. around yeah Mm. Yes. Uh, I, I, more I, general Japanese culture. Than I can anime. answer anime yeah. questions, but only about like five animes. So I'm gonna. So just just for clarification, because I keep yeah, saying next Thursday 26. in the <laughs> Yeah. Well, I don't even want to contemplate that. Moving on. Uh, so to clarify, since I said the ambiguous next Thursday and the following Thursday, we will not be recording on October 26th or November 2nd. Yes. So. Just so that if anyone cares to try to catch up, uh, those those will not be record days. We will be back on November 9th. Yes. Uh, but otherwise, uh, let's uh, to shout out. Uh, you can patronize uh, Gaijin's lovely ongoing fiction endeavor, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, if you enjoy uh, the the sensation of. Uh, a a tabletop gaming group minus having to actually deal with the fact that your one friend will never be on time and the other one smells terrible. Uh, you can you can enjoy a vicarious uh, the vicarious enjoyment of that by uh, reading about some actual human beings who might develop and grow at some point. Which again, very different from your typical gaming group or streaming group for that matter. <laughs> Wow. Did you just call uh, me smelling? I didn't... We're not playing tabletop <laughs> games in person, Wheels. Why would you assume I was talking about you? You said streaming group. That, that was me saying that none of us will ever develop as human beings. Wait, um, a, wait a minute. But yeah, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yadimizu, uh, which is available on Kindle or Kindle Unlimited on Amazon. Uh and can be purchased also in dead tree format. Usually several of those are uh, discounted due to absolutely inscrutable aspects of whatever is going on with Amazon's algorithm. Uh, At any so, given day. Yeah. So, you know, give, give those a look. Uh, they're, uh, they're very charming and quite, uh, quite they aren't going to break the bank. So... Uh, Give it a look. Uh, if you want to catch streaming, there is uh, we we do there will be Sunday night shenanigans in the coming weeks. Uh, that would be at Sunday at nine uh, Pacific, midnight Eastern. Uh, I believe next will be Dragon's Crown. Um, yes, not sure what the exact schedule is, but we will. Show and I have talked about doing Dragon's Crown and also doing some Saints Row. Yeah, that'd be I'm fun. Not sure which one we're going to do first, but I might try to log in and hackle you. We'll see what happens. Uh, but we may <laughs> end up just swapping out Dragon's Crown for Scott Pilgrim, especially if we can get Tam on when we're doing that. So, hmm. but yeah, uh, uh, it, will not, it will not be the Sunday that is Extra Life, which would be November fifth. Fifth. Yeah. Because. I will probably be half dead. I'm sure. So maybe we'll try and get you on this Sunday then. Do some. Yeah, because uh, 
I am uh, covering because uh, me along yeah. with the entire stream team of uh, Twitch.tv slash RP Gamer, which uh, can also host the Q and A quest, which is a production of RPGamer.com, uh, is doing the entire weekend for Extra Life, raising money for various uh, children's hospitals, and I am pulling the eight, technically nine hour shift. That is the daylight savings changeover. Rip. Like I do every year. I don't so, envy that. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'll probably be awake by the time shenanigans rolls around, but I probably will not be like a up to playing. <laughs> yeah, or at least playing with others. So, but and then I may also try and do another uh, overnight stream because I'm taking both Monday and Tuesday off this year. Good choice. Yeah. Well, usually I try and take the Monday off, but this year I was like Monday and Tuesday. So, yeah. It's mm -hmm. so uh, catch us and and uh, outside of that, uh, we do try and stream seven days a week. Um, schedules have been very mixed right now due to either life circumstances, work circumstances, or in one person's case, injury. So um, unfortunately, our stream team has been a little lacking on streams re in recent times just because of a whole bunch of various things. But I have been back to streaming myself, uh, and uh, hopefully I can get through some of these games that I have half started. Yeah, that'll be fun to see. Yep. Yeah, I did uh, some more Super, uh, Super Robot War Second OG the other day. Because I, I got my P I got a certain program to work to do that, but I haven't checked my PS2 emulator to see if it works. Oh yeah. Because I'm on need that. To, need to play the OGS uh, fan translation patch. Uh, I have that downloaded. As do I. It's on my deck. Maybe I'll play some of that on the train. Um, uh, yeah, so that, that's uh, I think that just about covers everything. If you want to ask us questions, you can ask us questions by going to uh, the comment section under this very episode. I just realized I didn't check that shit, um, but I'll check it next time. Yeah, this is uh, coming up like a few hours before this episode, so there's probably nothing there. Usually I check the last three episodes. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, so I'll, I'll check that next time. We'll be sure to get those. Uh, you can also ask us questions in the Discord. Uh, you can hit the RP Gamer Discord. If you go to uh, rpgamer.com and click on the Community tab, you can find an invite to the Discord. Lovely little community. Uh, so I would recommend uh, joining that, even if you don't want to talk. If even if you don't want to ask us questions, uh, but uh, if you do. Go in there, go to the podcast section. You can leave questions like good friend Firemeyer did. If you catch us when we're streaming, again, won't be the next couple of weeks, but if you do uh, catch us streaming like good friend Budai did, then uh, we can. We, we always love uh, answering questions that show up in the uh, stream chat. Uh, but otherwise, I think that about covers it. So see you, Space Cowboys. Night, everybody. Night.